the morning slash afternoon slash evening. I don't know when you're going to listen to this, uh, but welcome to the Midweek Main Point. It's Wednesday. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Custer. I'm going to kind of host this week. And uh, with me is our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, and our children's pastor, Blake Flincham. Uh, so you'll notice, obviously, I'm running this thing, which means Jonathan must be gone. Jonathan's on a mission trip in Armenia, so we are praying for him. And actually, uh, we're gonna. Jeff had a good idea. We're gonna kick off this podcast um, praying. So if you were here Sunday, and if you weren't, you can get access to this if you want it. Jonathan had left us some prayer points for us to pray through. Um, so we're actually going to on the podcast. We're going to pray for each of those things. So Jeff will pray first. I'll pray second, and then uh, Blake. And we're just going to pray for the mission trip there in Armenia, pray through these pray points, and uh, we just invite you to pray with us. So go ahead, Jeff. All right, Lord, we do want to pray for Jonathan as he's away, and just pray that you'll be with him and just energize him on this trip and um, just help him, Lord, to be more focused on uh, your call in his life as a result of that, but also to be able to have an impact on people's lives while he's there. And we pray for all the families of the men that are on this trip. Uh, I know specifically the pastor of Bragtown and uh, Andrew, uh, they both have children. So I pray for their wives as they take care of their families while they're away. It won't be a great burden. We also want to pray for all the churches involved in the trip. Uh, I think there's like eight people that went. Uh, Some of them are pastors. And uh, so they've had people filling in and things like that. We just pray, Lord, that you'll be with the churches and um, everything that needs to be done, that people will fill in the gap during those days. Also pray for the safety. Uh, Thank you, first of all, for getting them there safely. And then we pray for a safe return as well. And then we pray for the team to have patience uh, and be flexible and fluid as things will uh, change and plans might be altered, but they'll uh, be fruitful in their ministry there. Yeah, and God, I wanted to pray for the the pastors that will actually be coming to this conference, so the Armenian and other surrounding country uh, pastors. Uh, they're doing a conference for them, God, and I, I want to pray for them that uh, they'll be able to come. Some of them need financial assistance and just logistics with travel, and just there's kind of a lot of uh, uh, things that, that could go wrong, but there's also a lot that can go right, God, and so... We're asking that you uh, intervene and that you be there and that you uh, begin speaking uh, to those pastors and and grip their hearts. Uh, And then with the team, God, uh, they're going to be preaching in churches and speaking and doing the conference and doing a lot of uh, kind of street level on uh, like apologetics and those types of things, God. And so uh, we just ask that you help them to speak clearly and that the interpreters or are good and that they're able to understand uh, all the words and able to articulate those words in a way that that can communicate very clearly, God. And so um, ultimately we want your message and your gospel to, to, to ring forth, God. And we want these uh, pastors to be encouraged and to feel like um, they received uh, good instruction. Uh, some of them might have sacrificed to pay good money, God. So uh, obviously, they want to they want to do a good job and they want to speak clearly and, and get their message across, God. So um, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Lord, uh, we come to you today and we thank you for um, the trip that uh, 
been taken to Armenia, Lord, just pray for the pastors. And, Lord, I do pray that um, on this trip a call to missions and a desire to serve the people of Armenia will develop in the hearts of all the churches involved. Lord, as a, our brother Jeff already prayed, there's a, a good amount of churches that are represented, Lord. And I do pray for uh, that you would give us a heart for Armenia, not just now, not just while they're on the trip there, Lord, but even when they come back we'll have a heart to see uh, the gospel flourish in Armenia and for future opportunities to go to Armenia because um, um, because of what the uh, people who are on the trip will come back and tell us and how the mission field is uh, ripe for a harvest there, Lord. I do pray for that country and that um, there would be revival in that country and that um, you, uh, you would just save a lot of people through this trip and uh, help uh, even for us as the churches are involved, Lord. I do pray that you would... Uh, cultivate a heart for missions through people who might not quite have a heart for missions. Pray that you would cultivate a love for missions and that um, we would all do our parts in fulfilling your great commission. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, So, uh, this past Sunday sermon, Jonathan got to preach. Uh, Jeff was out of town, and and, uh, so Jeff asked Jonathan to preach, and uh, Jonathan was itching to preach. Uh, So we actually had the privilege of hearing the sermon that he wanted to preach in Armenia. So he has a, he's going to get to preach in a church in Armenia. And so uh, he preached this sermon. Uh, so it was actually a little bit on the shorter end uh, because uh, he's going to have to preach with a translator. And so if you thought it was long this Sunday, <laughs> imagine the church in Armenia, it's going to be twice as long. Because uh, you say everything and then you wait for the interpreter if you've ever been in that type of situation. Uh, it's pretty cool, but it can also be awkward and kind of lengthy at times. Uh, so um, we, we do pray for, for that situation. But Jonathan went to his favorite book of the Bible. And if you, if you pressed him hard enough, uh, he would say this is his favorite chapter in the Bible. So um, just very very educated on it very uh influential in his own life so he's he's kind of taking it all in and i'll just be honest philippians chapter 2 um is just a very powerful very christological passage um so typically when we talk about christology or the christological passages there's four this is one of them um so this one and hebrews 1 colossians 1 uh, Philippians 2 and John 1. So most of them are uh, in the first chapter. This one's in the second chapter. Um, but yeah, so those are the Christological passages. This is it's just super powerful. So I'm going to read the, the kind of thrust of where he was at because he could have went a lot of different places in Philippians 2, but he really wanted to focus on the post-Christological part on on 12 and 13 on the part about working out your own salvation. So it says this. This is Philippians 2, uh, beginning of verse 12 and 13. It says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And so that's the thrust talking about what does it mean for for us to work out our own salvation. And one of the coolest things, uh, maybe daunting, maybe it's not cool, maybe that's not the right word. 
um, that Jonathan kind of started off with this quote from Buddha, actually. And so the quote from Buddha says this. It says, work out your own salvation. Do not depend on others. That's the full Buddha quote. So obviously it looks like he's quoting scripture or it just sounds like scripture for the first line. But then the second line says, do not depend on others. So, fellas, that's kind of where I wanted to start. What were you thinking when you heard that quote from Buddha? Well, I think that even though it was quoted from Buddha in practicality, a lot of Christians actually would would work that verse out first, that they would think that somehow or another, it's up to me, I've got, I've got to be saved somehow, either through works, like my good works are going to outweigh my bad, and somehow or another i got to get my good works to, to where um, they're at a point where I can, you know, deserve salvation. Um, and, so a lot, and so even us then that understand grace, once we become saved, somehow or another we think again that we have to work to maintain salvation or to, to um, obtain grace or mercy or all. And, and so obviously then uh, we, we live it out like, like it depends on us, which mm-hmm. it really doesn't. And it depends on the Lord. And he just wants us to live through, let him live through us as we live out this salvation or work out this salvation that is not really dependent on us. It's dependent on him and our submission and obedience, which is what Christ did yeah. as the example that, mm. that um, Jonathan pointed back to when he did the main argument. Yeah. That. I think it's crazy how people can come away with a certain idea from one verse and they fail to read the next verse, which actually complements that previous verse. So like working out kind of like this works obtained salvation. I mean, yeah, maybe if you just read verse, um, if you read verse 12, but like in, at least in the ESV, what I have here, verse 12 and verse 13 are in one sentence. So it's like, (laughs) (laughs) so, and verse 13, it's like, actually, no, this is God who works in you. And it's at for, to will for his work and his good pleasure. So I've always kind of found it interesting whenever like you see something quoted so out of context uh, most of the time that verse makes sense if you just read one verse more or read the verse behind that I think it's just kind of ironic that a lot of people can get misconceptions and not read just just the next thing yeah so how this quote kind of plays out in what I would say pop culture maybe not pop culture but Christian culture uh, at large is like the don't judge me type of thing, right? Like, this is my salvation. It's for me to work through it. You don't get a say in what I'm doing, um, right? So, like, it's like I've got to I've got to find my own path, kind of thing. I've got to work. I've got to do this do this myself. And so, you you don't have any right to judge me because it's mine and my salvation and. And it's between me. It's between me and God, right? Like you can hear all those types of things uh, being said. And I think they would use this verse, verse twelve specifically. Yeah. That like, and I think they can even throw in verse thirteen. Like, hey, it's God that works in me. It's between me and God. It's too individualistic. And just, mm-hmm. just to be honest, our our entire culture, and especially American Christian culture. We are way too individualistic. It's all about 
you don't have the right to speak to me or or call out my sin. I don't need to confess to men, which is true, technically, but there is some uh, strong benefits to actually confessing your sin. Yeah, living, um, out, living out in a community. Living out in a community. And I know, Jeff, before we started the podcast, you had mentioned something that you, you, you had noticed about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, when he's writing... You know, he's writing to the Philippian church, and uh, he's telling the church as a whole to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in you. That's that's all plural language there, that, that God's working through this Philippian church, and that they should work out their salvation. In other words, do what you're supposed to do. I think, uh, and we'll probably talk about it later, because Jonathan brought it up about the fear and trembling. I think that throws a lot of people off, too. Mm-hmm. And that you know you're you're thinking that you're going to get zapped or something like that, but but yeah, so it's so even though the the, the point of salvation for a relationship with Christ is an individual decision, once you're in a relationship, then it becomes a community, it becomes a family. Like you know when you get married, um, the whole point of marriage is to you know to enjoy one another and have that fellowship, and and then you know present yourself as as a picture of Christ but then once you have children and all um, you've added other people into the the equation so now it's you know as a group you're a family you're together and that's the same way with the church we we don't get saved as individuals and then just stay say individuals and just do our own thing we come together as a group in a community to try to say how how can we work out our salvation in this community we live here in Durham how can we reach people how can we do all these things together as opposed to you know Jeff taking his stake and Jeremiah and we're both going in different directions and stuff like that and never coming coming to the point where we're working together so I think that's part of what Paul is trying to teach here too and with with this verse especially coming from a place where uh I like how you say it Jeff blue collar theology is kind of prevalent um a lot of people, you know, have this idea like this, like you were saying, Jeremiah, this individualistic kind of mindset. It's like they don't have a need for a community. They can like, well, I can watch just Charles Stanley or whoever at home, and that's good enough for me. Or uh, I've actually heard somebody say, well, I can worship God on my lawnmower, and it's just as good as church. Like, I can go to church on my lawnmower. <laughs> and yeah. just kind of like stuff like that and like uh, there's no need to go to youth camp because I can just do all of what they do at youth camp here and my question is will you mm-hmm. you can but will you and so there's a lot of stuff that I, I just to kind of piggyback off that there's just a lot of things I've seen personally that it takes this individualistic but it's so important to remember that this is church this is community like Hebrews 10 25 is pretty clear and saying you need to be in community if you are a professing Christian um, yeah I just wanted to throw that out there. no that's good and uh, I'll shout out Dr. Pace like I always do because um, this kind of came from him but um, I believe it's easier to be deceived and manipulated when you're by yourself mm-hmm. um, so even when you're opening up the word it's easy to be deceived and manipulated or, or reach the wrong conclusions, interpretations when you're by yourself, you're not in community. And where Pace comes in, Pace taught us, uh, he would always talk about dating because at the time we were in college, we weren't married, right? So it's kind of hitting us where we were. 
he would talk about dating and our our culture around us um, basically has this idea that dating is me and, and the girl that I, I want to court, right? Just us going out to dinner, going out to the movies or whatever, and you and it, that's more intimate. That's that's more serious. That's the way you're supposed to do it, right? Um, and you see it in the movies and all that kind of stuff. But he encouraged us, uh, and this was just really good wisdom, he encouraged us to group date. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's way harder for ladies, for instance, for a guy to manipulate you if he's with his friends. And you're like, no, won't his friends help him? No, I think that the the group, his friends around him, right, he starts doing something weird, his friends are going to notice it and call him out on it, right? Hey, dude, why are you acting weird, right? So it's easier to be fake in the just one-on-one, the more private, what we air quote, intimate scene, but you have to be yourself if you're in a group. And so if you have your friends and they have their friends and you're group dating, uh, it's more about community and it's less individualistic and it drives us to be uh, real to ourselves, who we actually are and not be fake, not be manipulative, not be deceitful, those types of things. Right, and and plus like the girls can be there to, to, to... to help help with accountability because yeah. normally they would go like we're going to the bathroom and they're all going in there to talk about look yeah. you know <laughs> this guy's treating you like a jerk yeah. you don't need it you know so 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 the church is the same way I mean can you be the Ethiopian eunuch and be by yourself and get saved and then go back to Ethiopia yes but what did the eunuch do what well, well, history and uh, church history teaches us that a church a uh, 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 a, a church was born in Ethiopia. There was a, um, a a start of a church. Now, did they have all the theology and everything they needed? No, because they were separated by geography and time. But they did form a community. And then, um, so so the Philippians, the same way, they formed a community, they formed a church. And so here in Durham... You've got to have a community. You've got to have somebody holding you accountable. You've got to have somebody that's helping you understand Scripture or you're helping other people understand Scripture. You're working out your gifts and all these things. You're working out your salvation. You're doing what, what God wants you to do. So um, so I think the big key is don't look at it as an individual Scripture, but look at it as me as an individual working with others to work out our salvation. I think that's that's the whole gist there that Jonathan was trying to point out as well. Well, and this actually reminds me of uh, something I was talking with you yesterday at the Garden Center about Jeremiah. With, I was listening to um, a sermon in chapel yesterday from Walter Strickland, and he was preaching on uh, Luke 6, where Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, there's some things, you know, if I'm reading it, I would have never caught because, you know, I'm limited in my... You know, I'm very limited, whereas this guy's got a Ph.D. doctoral degree. And, you know, it's like in that with the Pharisees criticizing him for working on working on the Sabbath, they're actually working so hard to try to figure out, figure out a way to trap Jesus. So the same the work that they're criticizing Jesus for, they're actually doing themselves to try to trap him. And so with the community and to understand the scripture, having that community, having other people pour into you and getting other people's ideas is so beneficial into that because if you do stay in your own, just kind of own little bubble, you're going to be so limited. 
You know, it's actually more freeing to understand Scripture if you do it in community. Yeah, and I think Paul's getting at that a little bit. He's like, hey, I'm gone, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean the mission stops. Right. That doesn't mean that community stops. Like, because I think we get this kind of uh, our champion mentality or whatever. We get very, we follow one person, may it be a lead pastor or a famous preacher on, on the internet or uh, TV or whatever. Um, and like I said earlier, if you're not, if you're just trying to do it at home, you're not getting the community response and community accountability to that person. You may, you may just take, you may just a hundred percent trust some pastor, and that pastor may not have it all right, and you're more likely to figure out like, oh, this guy's off. In a community, because it's, it's groupthink, or, or there's a group of people that are trying to discern, and they're spiritual, and they're, uh, they're conviction, they have conviction in the Holy Spirit, right? And so you really, I mean, I know we were kind of, I don't, this wasn't really the mm-hmm. thrust of the sermon, <laughs> but but it's we do want to push that, like, community is super mm-hmm. important, yeah. and, and we wouldn't even have this conversation if it wasn't for, like, just our society just being so individualistic, mm-hmm. so... Right. Um, and we kind of teach that to our kids, right? Like we want them to be very, very independent and by themselves, like being able to take care of themselves. But really, they need to know how to exist in community and find good community and all that type of stuff. Um, so we'll move to uh, kind of the main thrust of the sermon. So Jonathan didn't really have points. He kind of broke it down. I guess you could say it's three points, but it's really three like parts of an argument for uh, J- Jonathan's very philosophical and kind of wanted to put it in that those types of terms. So he started with the main argument, which he actually goes back to Philippians 2, uh, verse 3, and reads all the way 3 to 5, and then again 6 through 11. Um, and, and if you've ever read that, you know that that's basically Christ's example. And in fact... Uh, there's one verse. What is it? Verse five. That this mind being. Used. Yeah, it's it basically. If I could put that in my in my paraphrase, he's basically saying, "Have the same mind as Christ. Mm-hmm. Have the same mind as Christ, who did this, or be like Christ, live by Christ's example." And then I'll let y'all summarize, or one of you can summarize, what just what it is he's talking about as Christ being the example. Well, and that's the point Paul was making too. He's not with them anymore, yeah. but he didn't want them to follow Paul. Yeah. That's, that's so he's good. like, so he's bringing Jesus back into the picture. Like, he's the example. He's the one we follow. And so, what Christ did, even though he was equal to God, he made himself lower uh, by becoming a man, becoming a slave is what the scripture says, a yeah. bond servant, and then he humbled himself even, and and became obedient. To, to where he was crucified on a cross. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have to do any of that. You know, he actually could have said no if he wanted to. But he didn't. He 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 had us in mind yeah. as the songs go right now that they've got out there. Yeah. But um and he did that because uh having people come into a relationship with their father was more important than him Staying as if you go back to the individual, he could have stayed with God and the Holy Spirit, and they could have just stayed in communion throughout eternity and existed, and and, and would have been okay. Yeah. But 
But he knew that God the Father created humans for relationship, and he wanted to do his part to bring more people into that relationship with God so that they would have this family, they have this community, they have this church, this building, all these metaphors that Jesus uses as, as what we're together as a group, as a collective, into that individuals become one as they become one with God the Father through him. So um, that's the thing is, is he's our example um, because the Philippians, you know, once Paul left, they could have fell apart and not even been a church. You know, there's a lot of people that, that follow um, preachers and if a preacher leaves, they leave. Or if they go join a church because of preacher, then you're joining for the wrong reasons. Yeah. If you're following like a TV preacher or somebody on, online and say, hey, that's my church, well, you're just following a person and their teaching. You're not really part of a community because the whole point of a church is not that I go to sit and watch and all that other stuff. Is that I've been gifted and equipped to do work. And so in that church setting, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to live out uh, my salvation, to work out my salvation um, through the various ministries in the church and in the community as we serve people. So, so as Jesus becomes a bond servant and serves, we too are to become the bond servant and serve others. One thing I liked about Jonathan's sermon in, in verse 6, at least in the ESV, I'm not sure how other translations uh, translate it, but um, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped like that of position he had. I, I've actually never heard the way Jonathan worded it with uh, something to like for a benefit to have an advantage with. And I've got a little uh, footnote down here, and it says, or a thing to be held on to for advantage. And I think that... Yeah, to take advantage of this position. Yeah. Right, and I've I actually never heard that worded that way before, so that even made more sense to me and like helped me understand Philippians 2 even better because I'll be honest, I think that, way, that wording is much better than the word grasped, mm. if, in my personal opinion. Yeah. But... I really liked how we kind of elaborated on that because, I mean, obviously there was a lot of benefit in being, you know, existing as triune God for all of eternity, you know, and just staying yeah. in heaven, obviously with the heavenly riches, but that kenosis, that Greek word, he emptied himself to be that servant for us. Yeah. And so, I mean, we're, we're still on community because I just think this passage is so good for community. Verses 2, 3, and 4 are really all about how to live in community. I mean, it's like do nothing from selfish ambition mm-hmm, or conceit, mm-hmm. but in humility count others more significant mm-hmm. than yourselves, always putting yourself below. And then that's when he goes into Christ's example of this is how you put others before yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the level. And you're like, well, how far do I go with this? Well, how far did Jesus go with it? Right? Right. Like, he, he gave up everything and put himself below everything, mm-hmm. like way below. Because I, I, I think, I find it funny, he made himself a slave, but then it says, even becoming obedient to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Like making himself a slave wasn't enough. And he's even still, death on a cross. And even death on a cross, <laughs> yeah. which is the worse worst than just death dying. Yeah. Yeah. It's like two elaborations on yeah. there. The worst <laughs> sinner criminal death you could have. So how, I mean, you know, how far do you take this humility? How far do you take this? Because it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And it, it's uh, Paul talking about complete my joy by having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. He's basically just saying, look, live in unity. 
the biggest part of community is <laughs> the last part. is the part is unity. Yeah. Being one, right? And Jeff just mentioned, right? Like we're all a part of the body. And I I I think I think Paul just nailed it when he used that illustration. Like just nailed it. We can't I can't even come up with a better illustration than that. You're a part of the body. You're not the whole body. Mm-hmm. You're not and I think a lot of times we think we're the head or the brain. Like you're not the most important part of the body. That's Jesus. That's reserved for Jesus, right? But you are a part of the body. Like and if and if and if you don't do your part, the body suffers. The yeah. body is missing something. Yeah. Um I just think that's so important for us to grasp as a church, right? And so Christ's example, that's where the argument starts. That's like premise premise one, premise two. Uh, comes there from Philippians 2, uh, 3 through 11. Um, and then he gets down to uh, verses 12 and 13, which was his main thrust. But I think that pushes more towards his next point, which is the imperative. And uh, imperative is just a fancy word for like the command or the teaching, something that the exhortation the yeah, author is wanting you to do yeah. yeah that was the therefore of the therefore yeah. yeah yeah therefore does it actually start with therefore yeah is that when he said that and that's what yeah, Jarson said, okay, yeah. said that that's why he went back to the main argument so you oh, would understand okay. what's leading up to this this command or this this teaching it's like this is what you've got to do yeah and I, I know Jonathan enough to know that he wants to make sure you know even before he gets to point two Look, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. if this not if this is right. not about Christ, then this is all pointless anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. Then he's going to make that really clear by talking about the two misunderstandings, right? right? Um, but this is the part, so Philippians 2.12, it says therefore, right? And anytime we see the word therefore, we ask, well, what is it there for? It's well, therefore. then you go back before, right? Because no one says therefore, mm-hmm. no one starts their speech with therefore, right? It wouldn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. If I was going to give a speech about Babe Ruth and I walked up on stage and I was like, therefore, he went and and everyone's like, whoa. Well, what came before <laughs> that? You know, yeah, what, what happened? <laughs> therefore, he went and found, I don't know, I, I don't know enough about Babe Ruth to, to elaborate. But. He ate a hot dog. Yeah. He had a home run. There, yeah, therefore. It's a candy bar, too, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a candy bar. That's an interesting story about that, by the way. So you don't start your speech, right? So it's important to know what goes before that in order to get to the imperative, the imperative being work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And I'm with Jeff. I think we need to talk about, you know, what does fear and trembling mean? Does it mean I'm supposed to, to walk on thin ice with God? Or like walk Um, on eggshells. Walk on eggshells, yeah, like... At any moment, I I could mess up too far, and he's gonna he's gonna go irate and you know, fire, brimstone, yeah. lightning, whatever it is that you think God God is throwing at you. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at in in the thing. And so and Jeff, you mentioned that earlier. You mentioned uh, we need to talk about the fear and trembling. So I'll let you elaborate yeah. right now. So so. So again, it teaches us that, like, if you just took that passage and tried to make a point out of it, not not even looking at the therefore, which is oh, yeah. what most people do, they take it out of context. Um, so then, then you would be you would be like, uh, okay, I've got to work out my salvation, 
and I've got to be afraid and I've got to be trembling because you know if I do it wrong if I can't don't figure it out I think is what how Paul uh, uh, excuse me how Jonathan uh, worded it in his second point is is that you know he's not advocating for workspace point one under yeah. that and then point two he's not saying salvation is something each person has to figure out for themselves so so if you take it out of context then that brings up all that in your mind and so um the fear and trembling um i'm really not sure i would probably have to do a little bit more study myself but but it's not a fear and trembling in a way of uh that God's going to punish you or do something to you. I think it's more fear and trembling as they, uh, because, you know, the Philippian church started, uh, you know, in a, basically uh, they, they found some ladies at the river and then there's a, there's a demon possessed girl that gets saved and then they get thrown in prison and then they, they have a prison break with this earthquake because they were singing and praying, and then the Philippian jailer gets gets uh, saved, yeah. and so that formed the nucleus of the church. Those people right there, and the midst of persecution and all the stuff that was going on. So I think uh, the fear and trembling part is 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 thinking about how uh, other people's salvation and other people's understanding of who God is and and what Jesus came to do is really it's in our hands because God gave us the Great Commission. And so we should, when we have an opportunity to talk to people and express the gospel and all, get up to preach or teach, there should be some, you know, some anxiety, some, you know, that I really want to do what I'm supposed to do, but not in a way that, okay, if I didn't say the exact words properly or if I didn't do it, I'm going to be punished or God's going to get me. I think that's kind of what Paul is saying there, that that we do it uh, in all seriousness. Yeah. Um, Understanding, too, that perhaps we will be persecuted. Perhaps we will be thrown in jail. Perhaps we will be someone in our family could be killed. And that would cause, you know, fear and trembling that, that, that you know, this outside persecution that's out there. I think Paul, um, I keep calling Jonathan Paul for some reason. <laughs> I think uh, Jonathan mentioned that there was the outside influence in the Philippians and then the inside influence. I can't remember what, what he said, but I know he mentioned it in his sermon. Um, but... but um, so I think that's kind of where the fear and trembling is, um, in a sense of taking it very, very seriously. Yeah. So there's a lot of times with Scripture, if you don't know what something means, I think if you know a good amount of Scripture, you can tell what something does not mean. So, like, when it says fear and trembling, obviously, you know, it's not like he's going to come zap you because Scripture also says that God desires mercy and not sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and I don't think um, take it to the level like Soren Kierkegaard did in Fear and Trembling, where he talks about how Abraham was fearful with Isaac. <laughs> you know, so I don't I don't think that's the correct way to go. I don't think that's the correct way to go either, because I know that uh, if especially in probably some more like uh, um, academic circles and more um, what's the word I'm looking maybe more secular circles they look at this verse probably through the lens of Kierkegaard because of his work that he did Um, and I I don't think that's the way to go with it I don't think that's the way to go with it either Um, so I just kind of wanted to mention you know if you ever 
don't know what a verse means. Because, I mean, it, this is a little bit of a tough, yeah. couple tough verses to understand. Sometimes you can know what a verse doesn't mean, and that can help kind of push you towards what it does mean. Yeah, and I think it's important not to forget that right before he says the fear and trembling part, he talks about himself. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm absent. Don't stop the work because I'm absent. Because there's because you're working for someone that's so much more authoritative, right? And I think that's where the respect and the fear, like godly type of respect, um, comes in. He's like, hey, don't do this just because you're trying to impress me, right? Because I'm with right. you. Keep working out your salvation, Philippians, the church of Philippi. Uh, keep working that out. Because you're working for the God of the universe, the God of the galaxies, right? Right. So, like, it's such it's it's bigger than if I was with you, and and I think it it does get to our motivations. Like, why are we doing it so we don't get zapped, or are we doing it because of everything He's done for us? Because we want to serve Him, we want to give Him glory, give Him honor, praise, uh, make Him famous, right? And so I do I don't think that it's I, I, I like the word angst though. Like you said anxious, right? Mm-hmm. I like the word angst because it, it shows like a level of I don't wanna say I guess I do wanna say pressure. Like, hey, if I don't tell them this is how God has designed the universe right. for the church to go out and tell others about him. Church right? is the means. If I don't yeah. tell them who's gonna do it, mm-hmm. is God is still gonna get the glory, right? It's all about God. But but there should be some level of angst, and I think that, that angst comes from the spirit. The spirit you don't want it to come from guilt. Right. Because right? that that's not spiritual. Mm-hmm. You want it to come from from the spirit and I would say conviction, which is different than guilt, and and just a desire to please the one who's done so much for you. Because this is what Jesus did. He, he he laid himself to the side. He put his desires, his wants, his goals, or whatever to the side, and and came and accomplished uh, our salvation. Right, and I think I, and I like the word pressure. I think it's a healthy pressure because even Paul wrote to the church in Rome. You know, how will they hear without a preacher? Yeah. Know, how will they hear without a preacher, you know? How will they believe on the one whom they have not heard? Mm-hmm. So even in that passage right there, he's like, hey, look, this involves us getting off our tails and going to share the gospel with somebody and uh, opening our mouths, doing that work. Now, I don't think it's like a, like, like a, uh, like an unhealthy fear. That should never be the reason that you share the gospel. But, you know, eternity is a long time to miss out on sharing the gospel with somebody. You know, it's a people's eternities are to say that is something that I mean the stakes are high, but we're talking about, you know, a true heaven and a true hell that people will spend eternity in either one place or the other. That there's a little bit of pressure there to, hey, look, this is very important. You know, and it's very important to realize like, hey, look, our correct love for people will have their eternities in mind. Um, not just their eternities, loving the person. We don't want to hear me clearly. We're not making people projects here. But having a right idea of their eternities are at stake here. Yeah. Um, 
because there is punishment for sin. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Jesus has taken that punishment for our sin. Mm-hmm. So I, I like what you said. I mean, there is a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially if you look at a place like Durham right here. I mean, I, you might know the statistic a little bit, but I don't know how many people are unchurched around this area. I think you've said it before. I can't remember the correct About statistic. 70%. About 70%. That's... That's probably more than that, but yeah. That should alarm every Christian in Durham. You know, that seven out of ten people are likely not Christians. Yeah. That that should be a scary statistic. Yeah. And we should want to do our part to help lower that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's motivated by the fact that we know God still works. Right. We know that he still saves. Yeah. It's not us. And that's where John, I think the thrust of Jonathan's message was focused on what is this not saying so he wanted to tell, like, what does it mean for us to work out our own salvation? But here in this in this second part, he's making it clear, this is what it's not saying. Mm-hmm. And the two things it's not saying is, is we each have to figure it out for ourselves. we got to find our own path type thing. we got to figure this out. It's I'm going to go off in my corner. Which and, goes back to the Buddha comment. Which goes back to the yeah. Buddha comment. And the other one I think is more prevalent for... Christian community, or uh, what do you call it, church, churchianity, yeah. is I've got to earn it, that mm-hmm. it's works-based, that I've got to be good, do good, do do A, B, C, D in order to please God, in order to go to heaven, right? Um, and so that's works-based. And I don't, I don't, and we can just go kind of go chase that rabbit for a second, I, I'm with Jonathan. I don't think that that's what it means, mm-hmm. right? I don't think we have to earn our salvation, that we work it out, and it's kind of up to me. Because that makes it about me. It makes it up to me. That's kind of American, you know, pull up your, your boots by the bootstraps or whatever. I, I just screwed, messed that up. Ah, you good. We always do Well, you know, if you think about it, and that'll get to the next one where the power comes from. Yeah. If which I'm dying to get there. Yeah. So if <laughs> if it was based on me, then I do have a ton of fear and trembling That's true. that I'm not going like to get that. it right. Yeah. Like and if and if I have to depend on myself to do this, yeah. What Paul is telling us to do as a church, uh, these Philippians, like he's gone. Now what do we do? There was probably a lot of fear and trembling. Like what do we do now? What, what you know? Something's it's up to us. Um, so then Paul then gives them the the way that happens. Yeah. Because clearly Jonathan talked about uh, in in the works-based salvation, he gave Ephesians, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's nothing we can say mm-hmm. that we did. And then the other part, um, we don't have to figure it out. He uses Romans 6.23. Do you remember what Romans 6.23 says? Yeah. Yeah. What does it say? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is through eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Right. So uh, so basically the plan has been figured out for us. It's a free gift. We don't earn it because I think he used the whole illustration about if he gave his wife a rose and made her swim through some crocodiles to get it. Yeah. You know. So better be some good flowers. So salvation is nothing... <laughs> And once we're saved, there's nothing we can do to figure out how to stay saved. We're saved. You know, now it's, it's we, we need to work now 
through a power that's going to be given to us. Yeah. And that's the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And that gives us to the point that the Jeremiah power. is ready to jump on. <laughs> well, I want to jump on it. But actually, because he quoted my favorite verse all the time, and I don't spend enough talk, time talking about it, really. He actually quoted that on the second part, but it, it I think it, it serves as a really good Oh, the Galatians segue. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Galatians 2, And he 20, mentions that was your best. Yeah. But I think the reason he, he quoted it on, on the second one was because of verse 21, not because of verse 20. Right. Um, so I'll just, I'll go ahead and go there and I'll read it. Um, I have it memorized, but I want to... Uh, Sure. So Galatians 2, 20 and 21. So 20, I think, is more about the power. Okay, yeah, 21 is 2, 19 through 21. Yeah, yeah. 21 is more about uh, what he was talking about here yeah. in that works-based salvation because it's about the law. Um, and he makes a very good point. So I'll just read it. It says this, verse 19, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21. But I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law or were obtained through the law, then Christ died for no purpose mm-hmm. or Christ died in vain for nothing. So if there's anything we have to add to it, it's yeah. And basically his point here was, and, and what Paul's point is, is, look, if you could earn your salvation, then why did Jesus die? Mm-hmm. And that's super important. Because we talk about this is Christ's example of humility, right? But to be honest with you, if we could just earn our own salvation, then what Jesus did was absolutely stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if we had to earn a part of it. Yeah. Like he gave like us ninety nine percent, but the one percent you gotta earn. Yeah. And it's, it's still not it's still messed up. And so I, I just I love verse twenty one for, for his argument. But then uh, we're gonna talk about the power and you get up to verse twenty one. So we'll just go ahead and transition there. Um, and I know he didn't preach this text, but I'm using this text to kinda of argue the same point. But yeah. it says that Christ who lives in me. Mm. I have been crucified. I'm dead. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the verses I like to use to talk about we're not people who were bad and became good. That's what almost everyone teaches. Yeah. Even Christ- mm-hmm. Christians, yeah. a lot of times they get it they get it messed up. I was bad and now I'm good. Mm-hmm. And but that's not really what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching look, you, were, you dead. were dead. You were gone. Right? Dead. No hope. Dead people can't swim. That's Dead right. Dead people don't need to be read. Or <laughs> I was going to say, never mind. Uh, <laughs> Dead uh, people can't do anything. They can't do anything, right? The only thing they can have to adapt is to be resurrected. And so what happens with yeah. Jesus is, is we now live in Christ. Mm. He accomplished our salvation. He rescued us. He resuscitated us. Like we are alive. So you go from being dead to being alive in Christ. And now it's Christ who lives in me. That's the that's where the power comes from. That's where working out your own salvation. It's God working. And, that, and, and that's the very next verse. So going back to Philippians 72. Sorry. I'm getting a little excited. Uh, but going back to... I apologize. You did. <laughs> going back to uh, Philippians chapter 2, that very next 
verse mm-hmm. says the exact same thing. Yes. For it is God who works in you. That's right. To it's do God two who things works in you. To will and to do his, and, his good pleasure. Yeah. And I think that's what we got to bring such an emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Like the Holy Spirit is um, the one well, motivating Well, I, I find it interesting you mentioned the Holy Spirit because... Galatians 2.20 says, it's Christ who lives in me. Right here it says, God God who works in me. Mm. But then we also know that the Spirit is the one who comes and dwells in me. Right, and there you see the Trinitarian God with that. So you even see the, um, the probably number one doctrine of God, I would argue, is the doctrine of the Trinity. Like a Unitarian God is different from a Trinitarian God. Yeah. Um, gotta gotta affirm the Trinity, and I love how that even that's working through yeah. through here, and through the Spirit, like doing the work to go out and uh, you know, going back to Romans ten, that people hear through um, faith comes through hearing the Word of God. Yeah. Well, we've got the Word of God literally in us, yeah. um, and we've got the written Word of God. Yeah. Um, like let's bring some people to faith and that's through the work of the Holy Spirit I loved how a lot of people say you know the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles but some people think it should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit yeah. because of how the Holy Spirit is working and continues to work to this day yeah it's good and so yeah I mean we just can't overstate that it's God who works in us that's right you can't say it enough and and this takes this takes the pressure off, right? Mm. Right. It, it 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 brings your focus to submission rather than like doing. Right. And well, Jonathan kept saying it's not what we do, but what Christ has done. Yeah. For us, so He's done. He completed the work of salvation. Yeah. It's done as far as the salvation that brings you into a relationship with God and into the church. What what we have to do? We have that vertical. And so our our goal now is how do we work this out in our relationships with other people? And so by being submissive and surrendering to him and doing his will, then that helps us to do that. Yeah. And so, like, for example, um, you know, Jonathan's on a mission trip. Yeah. And so I remember the mission trips I've been on. When you go, like I remember when I went to Haiti and, and that plane landed and you smell, I mean, the... The airports there are different. You, you get off on the tarmac and you smell the diesel fuel and the jet fuel and the smoke and the smoke of the city and you know you're in a place and it's 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 it, it does cause a lot of fear and trembling because you're like okay and so if you're not careful you could just succumb to that but then when you say okay we're here to do God's work and we're here we're here because of God's will and so that helps subside that that fear we might have yeah. uh fear of persecution or fear of being put in jail or whatever to do god's work and i think that kind of encapsulate what what paul is saying here for this this philippian church in particular that that yeah he left them um in a in a in an environment that was still coming after the church and so if you look at america today you know, it's it's very similar. We we live in a pagan society, a, a secular society, a society that's 
basically turning their back on God and saying, hey, we know better and we're going in this direction. So for the Christian then, it's easy then for us to say, you know, I'm kind of fearful of losing my job or maybe losing my friends. So I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything because we're still thinking it's something I've got to do or say. But if, if we have that approach, then we're never going to lead anybody to Christ. We're never going to be a witness. We're never really going to do anything. Yeah. Or we may take the easy way out and like, hey, I can do all this service work and do all this this stuff, but then I'll never have to really you know, preach the gospel. Yeah, totally. So that kind of relieves some of that fear. So I think what Paul's trying to say is you get past that fear, then you depend solely 100% on God because you understand now that God's working through you and he's wanting you to do what's going to be his will and what's going to cause him pleasure. And um, so it's not like a, a I'm trying to earn all that. It's like it's been provided as well. Yeah. And it forces you then to depend on him. And then that gets you past that that awkwardness or that anxiety or that fear or whatever to say, hey, you know, you're new in my community. Um, you know, I'm Jeff. I'm your neighbor. You know, it's anything you can do. And you kind of start building relationships so you can get to the point where you can share Christ. And then when that moment comes, there's still that anxiety and fear, but you share it anyway. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't, then you've missed the whole boat. Mm-hmm. Um because really, I mean, God is wanting us to do the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, which includes our neighbors as well as flying across the world. And um, so whatever we do across the world, we need to do here in our own backyard as well. So That's true. But I think fear probably keeps a lot of people from doing that uh, um, as well. I was looking about another verse uh, I know it's here, but I'm trying to find the specific spot. It's in 2 Corinthians 5. Um, there it is. 2 Corinthians 5 at the very end. This is the one that has, for anyone who's in Christ as a mm-hmm. creation, that's verse 17. But then you get down to uh, verse 20, right? Mm-hmm. And and by the way, verse 11 says, Therefore, Is that the ambassadors for Christ? Yeah. yeah. Verse 11 actually says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That's verse 11. So clearly this is like similar conversation. Um, uh, if anyone's a new Christ, that's if anyone is uh, in Christ, he's a new creation. That's 17. But then 20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be, and that's that's the one on the imputation of righteousness. Mm-hmm. But but we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, meaning to reconcile that God literally, we speak for him. We speak for God. So God is working in us. And then by our speaking, we are speaking for God, and it's His His will, right, that none should perish, meaning that He wants reconciliation with these people. So it's all, salvation is all from Him. He's accomplished it all. He's the one really offering the salvation, but He uses us to be His ambassadors. And I guess we just don't talk about ambassadors anymore because... I don't. I don't ever talk about it. even in politics. 
The only time you talk about ambassadors is if you're in another country or if there is politics involving that other country with the embassy or whatever. Right. Um, but ambassadors are representatives. And right. we represent Christ. But it's even more than that for Christians because it says that we make the appeal for God. Mm-hmm. God is making the appeal through us. Mm-hmm. And so all these texts together, um, you could get puffed up and say, we're more important than we are. We're not. The power comes from God, God working in us. and and But it's still our job to not respect all these other anxieties. Because like, if you don't share the gospel because you're scared, that's you giving respect to something else other than God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right? Or you don't... You have some other, what if they do this? I'm going to lose my friend. Like, that's giving that's giving respect to things other than, God, this respect that we're talking about. Not, right. Uh, you know, fear. This right. fear, this respectful type of fear. And so, um, then this sermon was, it's got me, it had me fired up. Um, but I, I kind of ignored maybe the beginning parts of it because I knew where Jonathan was going. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was fired up about the end. Like, yeah. And sometimes I it, it kind of frustrates me with the the Bible. Not that they did it wrong, but if you if you only focus on these verses, which are really good, and you don't go to the next verses, which are very good, you're not going to get kind of the conclusion, which you need the conclusion to rightly understand the beginning, right? Yeah, for sure. And so, and I think Jonathan did a good job of mm-hmm. of giving us the conclusion, even in the right. beginning. But then, kind of bringing it home there at the end, yeah, and so for sure. um, just an excellent passage. Uh, we're almost out of time, but um, y'all have other thoughts or concluding thoughts uh, there? I think this passage pretty much speaks for itself. <laughs> yeah, and actually, he could have went further. Yeah, because if you look at the very next yeah. verse, it's that one on uh, do nothing, nothing without grumbling, grumbling or disputing. Yes, man, that's so predicting. Which, which basically. <laughs> emphasizes our point that this was not an individual I'm working out my salvation text. Yeah. It's it's a collective. As a church, you guys have to work this thing out together. Yeah. It's it's definitely a community sandwich. Yes. Right? He starts with this is how you live in unity yeah. and at the end is like, hey, if you're not grumbling and complaining, yeah. it helps with unity. It's yes. like yeah. and then then he gives Jesus as an example. Could you imagine if there was any person who had the right to complain? It would be Jesus. Oh yeah, and I—he never does. And if you think about that—that that core group at the church, you had Jewish God fearers and believers that became Christians, and they were mainly women. Yeah, you had the demon-possessed girl that became a Christian, who was clearly a pagan person that had like these people would not even have anything to do with because it yeah. would be unclean. Then you have a, a Roman centurion who was the jailer who is clearly was the enemy. So those three groups form the nucleus of the church. Yeah. And so how are you going to work this thing out together? Because, yeah. I mean, think about it. They could be like, they could be fearful of the Philippine general. Like, well, you know, he, he is a Roman and maybe he's just a spy. You know, they, they had the same fear about Paul when he first yeah. became a Christian. So I think Paul was getting at how how they needed to uh, come together yeah. and then order to impact the community and impact the other people that are out there and showing yeah. them what it, what it really looks like. It's like, um, don't unify on me, Paul says. Like, don't unify on social status on or gender or like, it's all about being unified on Christ and mm-hmm. following His example yeah. and being right. like Him. 
And that's just super important. So, uh, Jeff, you're going to preach this week coming up. Yeah, um, we're going to look at, uh, since it's 9-11, we're going to kind of do some remembrance of that a little bit. But we're going to look at um, a, a verse because the, the image of 9-11 that really threw me off other than all the horrific images was the whole thing of the people walking around with all the dust on them. And this passage in uh, 119 of uh, Psalms Ooh. 25, my soul clings to the dust. Revive, revive me according to your word. Mm. So uh, I taught on my blog from dust to life. So we're going to look at, we're going to take a look at that using that backdrop of those people, you know, covered in dust and um, kind of apply that to us today. Yeah. So it's going to be of a, res, a resurrection kind of message. Too. Yes. Dead, dead going to life, right? Revive like me it. according to your word. Yep. And that's our memory verse. So uh, work on uh, memorizing that verse. For sure. Uh, any final thoughts, Blake? I'm good, man. Right. Christ is good. We had a good discussion today. It was good. And uh, remember that we love you. We're here for you as a pastoral staff. And uh, just focus on uh, Jesus. We give him all the glory, honor, and praise. And we'll see you on the next one. On your kids talking. <laughs>